Well, welcome back, everybody, for Live Longer, the podcast, as we start off on season three, The Art of the Mind. And this is a seminal moment in the history of the world. Ukraine and Russia are at war. The whole world has united to help the people of the Ukraine. It is a terrible moment and a seminal moment in the history of the world. The only Ukrainian friend that I have is a wonderful colleague from Toronto. She was a really close friend of mine when I was an academic in Toronto, and she is herself Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at the Unity Health Toronto and a subspecialty expert in uveitis. And this lovely lady and I have worked together on a number of projects over the years, and we've shared cups of tea and glasses of wine. So my first thought when I heard of the war breaking out was reaching out to this lovely woman to find out how she was, how her family was. And boy, was I surprised when I heard the journey that she's undertaken to help her people. And I've invited her here this evening to talk with us and share with us some experiences and also her project that we're going to call out a big call for action for Eyes on the Ukraine and this evening. So join me in a very warm welcome for Dr. Larissa Dersko-Jelinski. Larissa, you're very welcome. Thank you so much, Millicent. It really is a pleasure and an honor to have been asked to do this podcast. And I, I've listened to some of your podcasts and they, they really are wonderful. They're, they're touching and they're, uh, they really provide so much information to people. Um, some of your medical podcasts have done so, but from really a human side of things. Uh, and I am thinking how I'm going to listen to some of those podcasts as I, um, you know, when I'm in the car, when I'm driving to our cottage and so forth, uh, there's so much to learn outside of medicine, really. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Well, the theme is how to live a longer, healthier life. And clearly, when we're in a time of war, that's the absolute opposite of living a longer, healthier life. And you, as I mentioned, are Ukrainian, but you weren't born in the Ukraine. Would you can we just start off and you tell me a little bit about your background for my listeners and, you know, how connected you are with the Ukraine? My heritage is Ukrainian. I was born in Canada and I've lived all my life in Canada, uh, but I was brought up with a very strong Ukrainian, um, in a strong Ukrainian family. And I've always been very proud of my heritage. I Ukrainian was my first language. I, we spoke Ukrainian at home and uh, when I was growing up and my children also uh, speak Ukrainian. We sp I speak Ukrainian in my own house uh, mm. and I, I feel very strongly connected to Ukraine and even more so, I have to say, with everything happening, I... Uh, it really has been devastating. Everything's been happening. It's it's uh, it really an attack. It feels like an attack on all Ukrainians. And for me, it's and for so many Ukrainians, it's it's really been emotional. And uh, and everybody's reaching out to uh, to find out how they can help. In terms of my background, I mean, we, um, you know, my, my cult, the cult, Ukrainian culture has been part of, of everything that we do. We celebrate Ukrainian Christmas, Ukrainian Easter. Um, so much of what we do uh, is so very embedded in the Ukrainian culture. You know, it's, I can't really speak to what it's like to be Ukrainian in Ukraine now. I think it must be very, obviously, extremely difficult. I mean, these people that are being uh, hurt by the war, um, there's a real human human side to what's happening. And it's it's sad. Um, I think we, we all want to help. I, I think we feel so 
all all Ukrainians around the world feel very connected right now. And it's uh, as heartbreaking as it is to hear and see what's happening there. It really is heartening. Everything that's all these people who are pulling together, not just Ukrainians, but really the entire world uh, are, is supporting Ukraine. And do you have family living in Ukraine still? So I do have family in Western Ukraine. Unfortunately, they're they're okay. Um, they're they're staying. <laughs> they they they're not um, fleeing quite yet. Mm-hmm. Do they feel under threat in Western Ukraine, or what's their kind of mood? They, you know, they're they're holding strong. They're they're going to stay. Their mood is that they're they're in their country and uh, they want to, um, you know, fight for for Ukraine, fight for their homeland. Um, they're not fighting. They're not. Uh, so my family is uh, more in the academic circles. There are some doctors as well in Lviv in Western Ukraine. And everybody's doing what they can, really. I've spoken to a number of other um, Ukrainians who have families, and uh, people are doing really. They're 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 hosting. So people who have uh, homes on the borders, for example, are you know having refugees come in. They're they're giving them a place to live for a few days mm-hmm. before they move on. Um, they're they're feeding them. Everybody's really pulling together. Um, it's mm. wonderful to to see all the help and support. Yeah, amazing. And, and a lot of the tech giants and, for example, I was reading Airbnb have 100,000 room capacity and they've given that over for refugees. And, you know, you have Elon Musk sending SpaceX so that people can stay connected. Because when you and I tried to reconnect a few weeks ago, I remember you said to me, oh, I was trying, you were trying to find your family and you know, it just really struck a chord with me that you hadn't been able to connect your family, but you subsequently did. And was that because their internet was down or, or what was the reason you couldn't connect with them? So my family is not my very close family. So part of it was trying to uh, find their contact numbers, trying to reach out, uh, I'm talking to my parents, uh, my in-laws, and uh, talking to people about how to connect with them. Um, so we, we don't and we haven't been communicating on a re- regular basis. We have visited them in the past, but uh, kind of is reconnecting with them and finding mm. out if they're okay. I see. I see. But this must be the same story for many Ukrainian people who left their homeland and are second and third generation like you. So, you know, this, your story probably will resonate with many people, not just in Canada, but in the UK and, and all over the world. Have you got a tip for them about how to do that? I mean, are there central Ukrainian communities that people can access to try and find their loved ones, etc., reconnect? I, I think right now it's... Uh, uh being done on a more personal uh, level. I don't think there are necessarily organizations who help with that. Uh, uh, I mean, certainly the internet, uh, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, all these social media sites are uh, are places where uh, many people are connecting. So my uh, brother-in-law is has connected with his family, and he's probably in more closely in touch with them. Uh, and they were they are actually organizing uh, a fund uh, for military aid to the Ukraine. So mm. you know there are many things that are being done, and and the entire family is now on a uh, Facebook chat. Uh, so there there are many things uh, through social media that can be done, and I think that's probably the best way uh, yeah. in this modern age to to connect uh, with family. 
And that's probably why it's good that Meta, Microsoft and Google have rallied and thrown the weight of their support behind Ukrainian people. Now, tell me about, I mean, I'm Irish, as you know, and in Ireland, we have a strong family culture. We would do anything. We would die for each other. And, you know, we're traditionally warm, hospitable people. But tell me a little bit about the culture of Ukrainian people so that we can understand. Are they hospitable? Are they resilient? I mean, they've suffered so many wars from the time of the Ottoman Empire, the Russian Revolution, you name it, from the time that they were first inhabited. So what is the the defining culture of Ukraine people? That's very true. Ukrainians have suffered through many wars. And I think it's made Ukrainians in general very, um, I think Ukrainians is very hardworking. They're, they're very dedicated to their cause. And Ukrainians are passionate about being Ukrainian. They're, they're also passionate about their families and their children. It's, uh, you know, we, we really uh, spend time caring for our kids and making sure they're okay, making sure that they, um, uh, you know, we set them up for um, the best life that they can have. And we keep in touch. I mean, the uh, Ukrainians have, uh, off they have family dinners, they have, they celebrate uh, birthdays and name days and uh, Ukrainian uh, various, uh, um, you know, uh, so again, I, I mentioned Christmas and Easter. I mean, that's a time when many Ukrainians come together. Um, uh, Ukrainians are very social. They mm-hmm. love, uh, honestly, they love a good party. They like to have fun right now. I can't say that's what's happening, mm-hmm. but Ukrainians know how to celebrate when, when in the good times, uh, they're also, Right now, I mean, uh, we're, we're hoping, again, that uh, Ukraine will be free and uh, Ukrainians are very passionate about uh, living a life of freedom. And mm. I think that's why they're so, I mean, obviously they, they are defending their country and they're, uh, they they want to reach that goal. So they're very mm. goal-oriented. Um, and I think that's epitomized by the Ukrainian uh, president, Zelensky. He's, uh, I mean, he's courageous. I think so many Ukrainians are courageous. Uh, and he's resilient and he's brave. And I think we've seen that in so many of the Ukrainian people in Ukraine at this time. No wonder you and I got on so well over the years. <laughs> Very similar culture, I think. I agree, yes. <laughs> and, you know, you can see that. I mean, what an incredible, inspirational leader, you know, coming from actor, comedian, who would have known that he was the perfect person to lead the Ukraine through this terrible moment in history and the courage, as you say, resilience, bravery. So he's epitomizing and he's sort of almost um, inciting the Ukrainian people to come back to their culture and give them the strength to get through this, which is incredible. But you touched on one thing there and you said hardworking and thinking through problems. You know, you've had to be quite innovative. And as a ophthalmologist, and to get to the the level in your field that you have, I mean, you're a, a very highly respected uveitis ophthalmology expert in the University of Toronto, and it's a technical field. But what I was really interested in was the fact that you are now using those attributes of a true Ukrainian person and combining your Canadian culture as well with your ophthalmology to bring to life eyes on the Ukraine. And I really, really want you to tell us a little bit about this project, which is essentially to assemble medical supplies for ocular trauma to go to the Ukraine. And we need to kick this around now and see where you're at with it and how we can help you and how we can galvanise a whole community of people behind you to get you the funds and the supplies that you're looking for. 
it is, as we discussed, it's it's really in the preliminary stages. Uh, however, things need to ha- happen quickly. So I am, uh, you know, I've been brainstorming over the past few days and reaching out to a number of uh, people uh, to find out how we can put together this project. The goal is to so ship some supplies uh, to treat ocular trauma uh, right into Ukraine. The, the, the initial thing we did is a needs assessment. So I have been in touch with ophthalmologists in Ukraine, as well as an ophthalmologist in Germany who is very closely connected to the um, ophthalmologists in Ukraine. So they're coming out with uh, lists of supplies that are running low. Uh, I am not clear yet on whether we're going to get lists every week or how this is going to move forward. But a number of these supplies are to uh, treat various eye injuries uh, and eyelid injuries and safe sight, uh, we hope. Uh, so without these supplies, they can't do the initial uh, trauma repair uh, so that people can actually save their eyes. Um, this is not something that can be done in a few months. It's something that has to be done right away. From my understanding, there are ophthalmologists who are skilled at performing these procedures uh, in Ukraine, but they need the materials. So we, we're going to try to get these materials to them. Um, so that, that's from a kind of a medical perspective. I have people all over Canada willing to help. Um, I have uh, the chief at my hospital um, at Unity Health who's reaching out to his contacts. And we're hoping to uh, engage uh, some large uh, companies uh, who provide the, and uh, these materials. Uh, so that's my that's my job <laughs> this, this coming up this week, along with my technology job. <laughs> Which companies are you going to target for these supplies? So from what what I understand, Alcon and Bosch and Lohm do, uh, those, those are the main players here. Um, uh, now, there may be some more specific supplies that will be uh, required for vitreoretinal surgery uh, and uh, and for as well as um, uh, ocular surface uh, procedures. So uh, we're hoping, for example, to get a uh, synthetic or semi-synthetic uh, corneal tissue that we can use to, that can be used to repair um, uh, sometimes like if people lose tissue from the surface of the eye, for example. So there are some, so Alcon, Bosch and Loma are the large companies. We're hoping to uh, um, work with them. Uh, and again, this is very preliminary. And then there's some more specific supplies that uh, we, uh, we will, um, we, we plan to acquire. Uh, the next step is going to be logistically how to, um, how to collect this, these supplies, how to package them, and where do we send them? I imagine we'll either be sending them to either Germany or to Poland and somehow transporting them to the border of Ukraine. And from there, uh, uh, there is a, a network of people who can drive these supplies to the western hub of Ukraine. So we used to, we call the, the capital of western Ukraine to Lviv, and that's where my family is from. Uh, so that's going to be the central hub from which supplies will be distributed throughout Ukraine. And what about distributing them from the air? So it is, it isn't possible to fly into Ukraine right now. That's, that's not safe. Uh, for, uh, so it will have to be, the supplies probably will be transported, um, you know, by, by road, by car or truck. Mm-hmm. So just to be clear, what we're, you're not looking for is volunteers because 
lots of Ukrainian people or people with connection have down their jobs and are heading out to fight. And of course, the fighters, you know, Ukraine needs the people to fight. But what you're doing is slightly different. You're doing a needs based assessment of supplies that will help the doctors. And there's plenty of them on the ground. Presumably, they're all still healthy and alive and well themselves and the hospital infrastructure is there. And you will then coordinate sufficient supplies and have an, an idea of the volume of ocular injuries so that you can have supply and demand um, aligned. And then trying to either work independently with a logistics company or potentially through one of the bigger pharmaceutical firms who normally distribute these supplies anyway, maybe piggybacking onto their infrastructure. Yes, exactly. And so that uh, may make more sense. I also... Uh, my understanding is some of these materials that are required are actually manufactured in Europe. So uh, if we can, uh, a lot of these companies I'm talking about are global companies. So if we can work with them uh, and perhaps even it may involve various packages of shipments or uh, maybe the central hub will be somewhere in Germany. Uh, there is a smaller, so I mentioned my colleague in Germany. So he is a Ukrainian. He's trained in Ukrainian. He's a vitreoretinal surgeon. And he is working from Greece and Germany. Uh, he is uh, assembling, uh, you know, smaller um, donations. People are sending him supplies, and he's actually independently shipping them over things like sutures and mm -hmm. uh, and other materials for eye surgery. Uh, so this, and that would be one possibility to go through him. But I think if we are able to get uh, these larger companies on board, we may have uh, it may be done. Uh, the process may be slightly different. It may be done on a larger scale. And quicker, yeah, because if you get a larger company partner, A, they can provide the supplies and you're not going to be fundraising because as I'm listening, I'm thinking there'll be a lot of people who will want to help. And I know we're setting up a Just Giving page. So if anybody wants to make a donation that could go towards maybe funding some of the logistics and, and any monies donated will go 100% to this cause. There will be no overheads. But really to do anything at scale, you're going to need to probably partner. But to get up and running and get some momentum, you could potentially leverage supplies from hospitals where you're working and use their suppliers. As you know, I am very well connected with many of the ophthalmologists in the UK, having worked at St. Thomas's in the ophthalmology department as a rheumatologist. And we will put the call out to the UK ophthalmologists as well and to places like Moorfields and St. Thomas's to see if, if they can help you in this broader effort. So it seems like there's steps to this. You, you might do a smaller pilot to try and test the logistics whilst you're waiting to partner with one of the larger companies. But yes, so that crossed my mind as well to to um, assemble what they need now, uh, do a smaller shipment and then uh, sort out, uh, you know, how, how this will work moving forward. And this, this is going to be a dynamic kind of effort. It's not uh, we can't do all the planning now because we don't know what will happen. Uh, I mean, we, we are concerned that uh, the Western part of Ukraine may be bombed as well. I mean, I hope I hope not. I mean, that would be absolutely horrible. But, you know, we, we don't know exactly what to expect in the next few weeks, mm -hmm. even. Absolutely. It's a time of uncertainty. And, you know, I being an entrepreneur as well as a physician, one of the things that we're taught are to look out for black swan events, you know, uncertainty. And this is certainly a black swan event. Well, maybe you could argue that it isn't because the Russian-Ukrainian relations have been breaking down for for many generations. But you have to operate in times of uncertainty. So innovation will be key to getting this over the line, I think, Larissa, won't it? Absolutely.
And you've um, innovated in terms of the name. I love the name Eyes on Ukraine. It's so apt. And we're going to call this episode, by the way, Eyes on Ukraine. And you mentioned that it was your husband came up with that name, was it? Yes, my husband's been very involved in uh, all these discussions. And I must say, he's uh, been very supportive and he has some great ideas. I mean, his background is not medical, but he's uh, really a great organizer. So uh, he's, uh, most of the time, this is what we're discussing, how to actually make this happen. Mm. Um, I've also had a number of friends who have reached out and, and offered to help from a logistics perspective and even a shipping perspective and so on. So I need a coordinator. So far, my husband's helping, but uh, I may actually be uh, looking to uh, um, hire somebody uh, who can help with uh, logistics and coordination uh, of this effort. Well, you never know. There might be somebody listening who's the perfect person. And today being International Women's Day, I think it's highly fitting that you are a female leader in your own right, an accomplished woman, a mother, a friend, a wife, a Ukrainian national and um, and also Canadian lady. And you are playing right into the Ukrainian culture of resilience, get up and do. And, and you and I have done projects together and I know that you are definitely the woman to drive this to a successful conclusion, Larissa. I have every confidence, which is why I'm encouraging my listeners to put the effort behind. Please donate to Eyes on Ukraine and please help this effort because if the Ukrainian people lose sight of their eyes, pardon the pun, then, you know, it's going to be an even more desperate situation. Yes, yes. Saving vision is, is a, I mean, that's, that's my goal in life, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, I'm an ophthalmologist, but yes, in times like these, it's, yes, if they lose their vision, then I, th- there's not, it, 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 life will be much more difficult for anybody losing their vision, but certainly in wartime. Um, it, yes. It's awful. It's a, it's a terrible thing. And we have to think beyond war. And hopefully there'll be a peaceful end. And then what, you know, is left will be very important to rebuild um, the next phase. So keeping the site preserved is key to that. Well, Larissa, thank you so much for coming on today. I mean, it really has been amazing. And I'm going to reach out to my ophthalmology colleagues. Um, I've already interviewed one other ophthalmologist, Masood Timery, and he escaped from Iran around the time of the revolution. And I'm sure he's going to be in touch with you and help coordinate some effort down in the Brighton area. And um, I will reach out to many other colleagues. Thank you so much and good luck with this amazing effort. Thank you very much, Millicent. My pleasure and honour to be on this podcast. Thank you so much. And, And thank you to all my listeners. And please do donate to Eyes on Ukraine. We'll put a link on our website so that you can do a donation through Just Giving and all that monies will go to the centralised efforts that Larissa is coordinating to save sight of those innocent people and people who were injured by either fighting or inadvertently in this terrible war. And join us next week when we'll move forward in a further episode on the art of the mind. And as always, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or drop us a note on hello at livelongerthepodcast.com. Thank you. Bye for now.